Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Sukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. So today we have a really special episode with Nicole Hardy, who's our friend and the founder of Race Movement, which we've mentioned in recent episodes as a platform that we're really grateful for during these unprecedented times and so excited to continue supporting and being more involved with. So race movement is founded on the principles that in order to create sustainable transformation in our communities, removing cultural, racial, and economic disparities, we must change the way we approach the world by changing the way we move in this world. We must analyze all definitions of the word movement and apply it to ourselves. The goals of race movement are simple. Create space for diverse communities to move together and unite the black community and its allies to dismantle systematic racism sorry, systemic racism, integrate resources to move minds and bring focus to everyday wellness. Yeah. And we're going to get into how Nicole came up with the idea for race movement and was able to move from having her aha moment, having her idea to executing this platform, bringing it to life in less than 17 days following the death of George Floyd. But first I wanted to mention that Nicole created this impactful platform while also having a full-time job. And I just really wanted to say that up front because she doesn't even mention it until a bit later in the episode. But she's actually a senior director for a very large market research firm and is also an athlete and fitness trainer. Uh, She was a trainer at Legree Pilates in Chicago. So she is really a force to be reckoned with. Um, And we say it probably too many times in this episode, but it's just a very, she's a powerful person. It's a powerful conversation. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I met Nicole about four years ago through my good friend, Erica Gallia, who is best friends with Nicole. And I only really got to meet Nicole a couple times, once at Erica's wedding, once at Erica's birthday, but I always loved her spirit and energy. I felt really comfortable around her. And so I was just really happy. She came out to LA recently. We went on a couple walks and, it was just awesome to connect on a deeper level. Um, she and her husband are considering moving out to LA. I think it's going to happen. I really hope it happens. Um, cause there's just so many more conversations to be had and it's obviously easier when people are out here, but, um, Nicole, Jess and I started connecting a lot more over Instagram around the time that she started race movement. We were all kind of just, um, DMing and she started race movement in June of this lot of this year with, uh, and it started with a movement challenge in the Nike app that encouraged people to run or walk 70 miles. Uh, and it kicked off on Juneteenth. The whole challenge raised money for color for change, which she'll talk about in this episode. Um, but from there, Nicole and her tight knit team provided 31 days of anti-racism education resources, including short videos, podcasts, articles, films, 
and so much more. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how they, they, they put this together and did this in such a short period of time, but it was incredibly impactful. And it included weekly, it also included weekly movement and meditation courses on Instagram. So it's just so well-rounded, um, really everything that you, that one might need, um, or, you know, just, it, it was crazy because Jess and I really felt like we wanted something like this, you know, and I think a lot of people were feeling like that and just like, how can I consistently stay on top of, of my, of this education that we need to be doing? And so this platform was just such an amazing answer to that. But when the, when the 31 days wrapped, um, which was most of June into the beginning of July, Jess and I were just so fired up about what she had created and the impact that it had for not only us, but obviously for an entire community of people um, that we really wanted to have her on the podcast and talk a lot more about all of this. Yeah, definitely. So, so impressive. And the initial idea for this episode was to talk about how Nicole started race movement and how you move from passion to execution once you have an idea and really the nitty gritty of launching a passion project like this. And we did get into some of that at the start of the episode, but the conversation really evolved into an overview of what it means to be actively anti-racist and how people can create the most change within themselves and within their friend groups and communities to make the greatest impact as a whole. So in addition to learning the story behind race movement and its founding principles, in this episode, we also cover why it's so hard to talk about race the idea of impact versus intention, confronting our unconscious biases around race, the importance of holding ourselves accountable to be better than the society within, we grew, within which we grew up, what being an ally looks like to her, including her husband as a shining example of that, and what performance allyship means and looks like, what anti-racism work really means, advice for having tough, uncomfortable conversations, and what's next for Nicole and race movement, and honestly, a whole lot more. Yeah, there were so many quotable moments in this episode. I think it took me like three hours to to get through it because I just kept <sighs> taking notes, and I feel like we could be sharing quotes from this for weeks if we wanted to, but oh, yeah. um, so I hope all of you are prepared to, to pause and kind of take in some of some of the knowledge bombs that she drops because it's uh, it's just really, really insightful and helpful. So anyway, there's a lot to learn in this episode. We hope you will enjoy it and uh, enjoy this conversation with Nicole Hardy of Race Movement. Yeah, and that's why it's crazy that I actually haven't spent that much time with you because I feel like I've known you forever. Um, and it's so yeah, nice. I'm so excited that you're hoping that you are going to be coming down here. <laughs> I'm excited too, because I feel like I obviously barely met you at all. And I can tell that we'll all get that along perfectly. Yes. Yeah. And that you're an amazing person. So inspiring. Yeah. 100% we will. And I'm very excited for it. Yes. And I mean, just even our walk the other day, I feel like we walked for three hours. Um, <laughs> but it flew by. We covered it. <laughs> But the one thing that like I didn't and purposely so didn't get into was kind of the whole evolution of race movement and kind of going from idea to execution with it, which you've done a beautiful, brilliant job of doing. And that's because we really wanted to dive into that today in this conversation, because, you know, first of all, the work that you're doing, the education you're sharing is tremendously important. And uh, the second piece to that is just that the kind of speed at which you put this together 
you know, was, is just so impressive. And I think that people often want to have a passion project or put it off for years or have something they care about. And you like put this together so quickly. And so we really want to dive into like how that's possible, what you've learned. And then of course, um, some of the the lessons and the education you're sharing on this important platform around anti-racism work. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a great segue. So I would be remiss if I said I wasn't the person who also had, you know, 50 idyllic passion projects that couldn't quite come to fruition Mm. because I was very much that person. In fact, I originally started my fitness journey because I knew that I loved, I loved the energy and emotion that I personally got being in a room of people who were so fired up for the same cause, which was, you know, to be motivated, to motivate others, to be fit and to have that healthy lifestyle and balance and that continual movement. And so when I started coaching, I started realizing like how important it is to be a consistent but authentic voice for clients Um, and so, but I also realized in Chicago, I, (laughs) I was one of very, very, very few, uh, people of color as instructors in my space. Mm. And I don't think that that it didn't hit me for a long time. And then about a year ago, I started realizing that I really wanted, I was almost disappointed when I would see my class roster and I wouldn't see anyone of color in my class. And so I started trying to understand, like, what is it me? And I had a lot of shame around that because I felt like I had, I was given this platform. I have this, you know, $10,000 equipment that so many people would die to be able to leverage or to coach on. And yet still, I was only tapping into a very small niche market. And that's when I really started my, my brain was spinning around, okay, you are, I was consciously starting to recognize what my gaps were for my um, satisfaction and just emotional uh, level. And then I would say about six months ago, I really, well, actually on New Year's Eve, we were in Sedona and we were all putting, you know, our burning and um, gratitude list together, something that I do every year for the last couple of years. And my, you know, a lot of people were like, I want babies. I want, I want a puppy. And mine was, I just want to feel a sense of accomplishment and a sense of diversity and inclusion. And when I put that down, I didn't actually know what I meant by diversity inclusion. I frankly meant I want to be connecting and impacting people of color. And I want to understand how to help people who are not of color see, see my lens. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I then fast forward three months, COVID hits and all of a sudden I'm still spinning out, trying to understand what is my purpose. Now I, we can't go anywhere. So I, I kept telling myself, this is the perfect opportunity to figure out what your passion project is. Um, and I put together a 
spider web. Do you remember those spider webs that we used to do in like, elementary and middle school? <laughs> well, I created one and it was almost embarrassing how many legs the spider had because it was not structured whatsoever. I was going all over the place and I tried to communicate to my husband and my in-laws. I was like, so here's kind of what my vision is. And I went through all of it. And then when I look, when I paused and I looked at their face, I swear to you, it was like, they'd just seen a ghost. They were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> None of this makes sense. Um, but I didn't let that deter me. Um, and then though, um, George Floyd dies mm -hmm. and it's like you needed a catalyst. Yeah. Um, that night I had the craziest dream. And for me, that dream made that spider web so clear. Mm. And it was in 24 hours that all of these legs of this spider web that I had been creating got siloed into one thing. Mm. And that one thing literally was race movement. Um, it, in my, it was called race movement. I didn't even have to think about what it was going to be called. No way. Um, I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, and then talking to a friend, I said, you know, I really... I want to build this platform and within this platform, I need it, not I want it. I need it to be directed to my white community and I need it to amplify black voices and black history and black experiences. And so I actually had a friend um, and I, and I also said, you know, so, you know, how, what would that look like? And I kind of pulled in, you know, for any, any project or anything that has been of impact, you can't do it on your own. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to leverage your core community that are going to be your ride or die people, um, whether that's friends, whether that's family and the people that you trust unconditionally. And whether that's one person or I mean, I wouldn't advise it to be 50 people, but, you know, that's that that group that you feel like you can be your most vulnerable self with. And for me, it was my husband and it was um, three other people who had very unique gifts, who had very diverse gifts and very diverse experiences. So we did a quick brainstorming session and one of them said, you know, I think you should think about what this platform is going to do. And I said, I think it needs to be some sort of challenge because in June we had done a challenge for frontline foods and it was so impactful. It was so motivating. And as a very competitive person, I loved being connected to a environment and joining together in a smaller group for a cause. Yeah. And so I wanted it to be some sort of challenge that was going to get people moving because I wanted it to be the move component was important to me from a fitness standpoint and just from a mental and physical health standpoint. That fitness journey that I was talking about earlier has been a journey of a lifetime for me. It's been a journey that has gotten me through some of the darkest hours of my life. Um, training for half marathons when I, you know, saw nothing but darkness was really what helped to keep me moving. And it, re-sparked that, that light and that, you know, that guide that I needed. And so I knew that if 
race movement was going to embody the things that I represented and the things that I, I wanted to represent, then it needed to have that component. So you tie the movement component in, which is going to be that challenge, that, that moving your body, putting yourself in someone else's shoes to unite a community. So that's where 70 miles came into play. And I, you know, I would also be remiss if I didn't say I spent, that was probably one of the more challenging things was trying to decide on miles that were going to be relevant and impactful. And then I just, you know, I realized it's not 70 miles is, is an arbitrary number. There wasn't a huge tie to it, but the huge tie to that 70 miles was that it was going, the miles were going to, your donation was going to go towards something. And I am a strong believer in mental health. Um, mental health runs in the black community so much um, so that it's, you know, it's more prevalent than we even like to admit. And personally, mental illness is in my family. And so mental illness, um, some sort of initiative was really something I wanted to um, dive into further. And I had just done a charity, however, with the Loveland Foundation. And I knew that it, that foundation doesn't cross all of the pillars that I felt were going to be most impactful for a challenge that I was trying to see um, speak volumes to a much larger community. So we chose Color of Change, which is just such a, a you know, it's, it's a foundation that if you're not familiar, um, is they fundamentally, they're designed they, in such a way that they speak to our generation so, so impactfully, um, they curate campaigns that are, they curate campaigns that are just so profound and essentially like they're the largest national online racial justice organization. So they're, I think almost 2 million, they're driven by almost 2 million members that are helping to move decision makers within corporations, within government, um, within, within homes <laughs> to be less hostile and create a more safe space for black people in America. So their platforms and their pillars were beautiful. And I felt very called to have them be our partner for this first launch. And then lastly, the date in which we started, um, we launched race movement on June 19th. And that was very much on purpose. And I am so grateful that that was the start of race movement's journey because June, Juneteenth is about supporting in solidarity. It's about appreciating and um, acknowledging black history frankly. Yeah. And so I felt it very relevant date to kick off our journey of a lifetime. Brilliant. Yeah. It was everything about your execution was powerful. It really was. I mean, Rai shared it with me. Um, you had posted about it on Instagram mm -hmm. and I didn't know too much about it, but from the moment I got to your Instagram page, I could see I mean, it was so clear what your mission was, and it yeah. was so clear, like, how all the pillars came together. Um, and then not to mention the fact that every – I think it was every day, right, you sent yeah. out an email. And so 
And that was also, I will say, like that was an evolution in and of itself because when we first, when, and so to put it in context too, George Floyd died and race movement kicked off in, I think, 17 days. So it was a very quick um, turnaround. And I didn't exactly know what the, I knew I wanted to send 31 days of resources. I didn't know exactly how we were going to deliver those to subscribers. I didn't know how frequently we were going to discuss them or people were going to, you know, be invited to listen and read them. But at the end of the day, what I wanted was to make sure that people fundamentally knew that race movement was going to be built on principles that believe in, in order to create this transformational and sustainable change, it first has to be about understanding and having those reflective moments um, of, as a community that then are going to be removing cultural, racial, economic disparities. And the only way that you can, you can move up in this world and move through this world is recognizing the impact you have as you are moving today. And then applying that movement and that evolution to yourself in all of its aspects, educationally, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what was so powerful about it too, is just that you know, especially during this time with quarantine, a lot of us have been taking more walks because it's just like, I need to get out of the house. And I know for me, I'd already been walking quite a bit. So, um, but on those walks, it's like, what are you consuming? Like Mm -hmm. if you are consuming something, what is it? Is it Mm -hmm. empowering you? Is it helping to elevate you, to take you to that next level, to question your morals, to question your biases, probably not for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that we could not only, you know, challenge ourselves to move more and improve our own health, which is like a very minor part of it, um, but we can move together in unity. And when you log onto that app and you see that there's almost 600 other people that you're moving with, it feels really empowering. And then layered on top of that, you're educating yourself and hopefully becoming a more aware individual who actually, you know, is empowered enough to actually want to take the steps to be a part of the movement and to create change. Mm -hmm. So there's so many elements of it. Um, that it was just, I mean, the fact that it was literally a race to race movement and (laughs) together so beautifully, um, was, I mean, amazing. Yeah. Everything Um, connected, everything connected. And I think that to your point about mental health too, it's like the movement part, the, the move, the challenge of walking or running and being in this group and having that competitive element is so you know, it is so important that we all continue to move, be active because it is good for our mental health. And it it does allow us to continue this fight, to continue to feel, have the energy to even Mm -hmm. consume the education we need to be consuming to learn and grow. And I think that why I saw such a huge uh, response to what you created so quickly was because, you know, everyone's telling like saying read this book read this book do this like in the first week after George Floyd it's like everyone is saying that they're reading like 15 different books and watching <laughs> movies, you know yeah. and it's like right even if like the intention is good you know it's like we all 
we all have good intentions when we say we're going to be doing those things, it's not realistic and it's not sustainable. And so what I really appreciated was that you were getting people to move, getting the right mental, the head, the right headspace just by moving. Then you've got these educational components that are compact too. It's like you were really mindful with like short videos, like podcasts, um, news articles. So it's like you're meeting people where they are at every kind of a learner which is so important, you know, because some people learn by watching, some people learn by listening, some people learn by reading. Um, and most importantly, I think people can need to connect during this time and share what they've learned and reflect. So, yeah. yeah. I, and you said one thing that really, I, you know, I, I, it sparked the thought, but you said, yes, the intention absolutely was there. And I know from personal experience, my intention is always to, you know, whether it's with a, you know, with racial equality or as simple as cleaning, like my intention is to do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, but that's not always to your point realistic. And that's where the impact of your actions and words will always speak volumes to the intention behind them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a prime example. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's true. Like just in life too, with intentions, everyone talks about intentions and like Mm -hmm. setting your intention and doing the right thing and empowering yourself and empowering others. But like, how often do you actually follow through Mm -hmm. to that intention with steps and Mm -hmm. action with action and action in a way to your point, right? That's going to be sustainable. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's such a theme right now is like, we need to keep moving. Like, past this 31 days, which is also a question that we have for you. Like, what is your, you know, what is your vision for continuing the race? Cause I know that it's not, it doesn't stop here. But also before you answer, I I wanted to say too, that like not putting, like I encouraged you when I saw you the other day to not to put pressure on yourself. Like you need to be constantly keeping this moving for all the education for, for people, you know, it's like, this has been a, a huge thing you've been involved with here. And so even if it takes time for like the next round or whatever it is, like you also need time to like, yeah. you, this has been a lot you didn't mention, but you also have a full-time job on top <laughs> of this project on top of fitness instructing. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that because I heard you say that on your Instagram story. Oh no. And this is a question we <laughs> yeah. want. But I yeah. just wanted to be like, like caveat this is not something that like you feel like pressure to immediately have like phase two or something no and and honestly and I appreciate that grace and it's something that grace is something I continue frankly to struggle with um my entire life because I have this fundamental need to always be moving but moving spending like moving to without a purpose is wasted energy. And I feel like race movement not only gave me a new lens, but it also gave me new perspective about how I view myself, how I view others, and the compassion level and the threshold that I have available now to hold space for myself and hold space for others. Because I was a person who always wanted, I was what I think you would call codependent, codependent in terms of the need to always 
be doing something for others so that I felt needed. And I felt like I was always going to be a, like a voice of reason for people. And I realized quickly, probably day, day two of race movement that I, not that I'm not strong, but that I'm not built and nor do I need to be everything for everyone. Because when I do that, I lose sight of the nourishment that I needed and the vision that I needed to have for myself and for what race movement really is going to be. And so there was a lot of um, breakdowns, frankly. I mean, debilitating, crippling, um, traumatic experiences that I was pretty much brought to my knees and very humbled um, because I realized that I actually have a lot of pent up suppression of my identity as well as how I want to represent myself and my the black community moving forward and how much space, what are those boundaries that I need to put in place to allow myself to have the space to be authentic and to be compassionate and to be also a leader as well as um, hold space to know when I don't need to be that person for someone or something. And so race movement now, I am taking a step of pause because I want it to be 10 times more impactful and reach 10 times more people the next time that we, we our next initiative. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that I will do that is through more research more exploration, and more candid dialogue with my trusted community um, and people like yourselves whom can share their awakening and can share their, their journey even in the last 31 days and give perspective. Because to be honest, race movement is, while it's intended for all it has a very unique focus on non-people of color because that is where, for me personally, the biggest awakening I had through race movement was um, because I halfway through, I was already thinking I knew what the next move was going to be. But the awakening moments I had made me realize, to your point, Ryan, that I have to take a step back and I have to really do some critical evaluation before we can keep proceeding because I want it to be transformative and I need it to be sustainable. Not I want it. I need it to be sustainable. And those awakenings for me were that (laughs) fundamentally the things that I thought my white community knew they did not know. And to me, that was just, it was shocking. It was deeply saddening it was disappointing. It was all of those emotions. I felt like I was going through the grieving process Mm. multiple different times. And, but every time I did come out of it with hope because I I did realize that there are so many people who joined the movement for the sole fact that they want to be a part of a community that's not going to be judgmental, that they can be vulnerable and acknowledge their gaps in history in um, 
like multicultural initiatives and oppression and also be really uncomfortable or learn to slowly get really uncomfortable in order to generate the change that we're looking to have. Because talking about race is very uncomfortable. It always has been, and frankly, it always will be. But the my, my, my invitation to people is reflecting on what is uncomfortable for you. Is it because you feel like you have experienced, you've been in situations where there's been an experience that in your gut and your intuition, everything spoke out and said, I, I, I fundamentally know that's wrong, but I don't have an English word for it. Or do you recognize yourself that when it is getting dark and you're walking down a street without even consciously realizing it, your unconscious bias holds your purse a little bit tighter or squeezes your partner's hand a little bit tighter because an African-American man is walking in your general direction. And those questions and those reflections are uncomfortable. And I am telling you that it's okay. And that though, if you are experiencing those to show yourself grace, but you also have to hold yourself accountable. And so race movement, the phase two is about really holding yourself accountable for that transformation and that reflection and holding yourself accountable in a way that continues to inspire you to be better than the society in which you grew up in and to be better than you were yesterday, still recognizing that you have a tremendous opportunity to be even better tomorrow. Yeah. And it's, and it's about speaking up even when there's nobody there to tell somebody. Exactly. You know, because you recognize that comment wasn't okay or, you know, and just, doing it because you know that it's the right thing to do and not because you it's this form of performance allyship, you know, where it's like, oh, I feel better and about myself now that I did. Mm-hmm. That. That's that's really not what it's about. And actually would love to kind of talk a little bit more about that, that realm of things, this allyship. You know, everybody, a lot of white people are, I think, are really, really concerned about ever looking like a racist or being ignorant and really wanting to be allies. Well, um, everyone is, so it's fine. <laughs> Let's all start with a blank slate. <laughs> Just yeah, I mean, absolutely. From, from like the history that we were taught that has yeah. so many gaps, you know, we, we can't help but have gaps ourselves and biases and all of that. We have to all acknowledge that. Um, mm-hmm. But what, how have you seen what, when you, when you think about like what a true ally should look like someone who is truly helpful Um, what does that look like for you? And maybe it's somebody in your life who has been there. Um, that's a, you know, those are all great questions. I would say for me and one, I, I have to put this disclaimer all don't assume that I think, um, a big learning for me even was that all, people of color share, like don't share the same views. So for example, like I, I've been very receptive to being a liaison and being a guiding force for a white community, because I really feel passionate that I've surrounded myself with so many 
um, so many variations of white in my life. And so I, I feel very called to raise that community to a higher standard. But some people of color don't have that emotional bandwidth and can't be that person. So I think assuming assuming that every, like an ally to me is, is multiple things. It's, it's recognizing that you have white privilege. It's fundamentally understanding that despite our backgrounds, at the end of the day, if we both walked into a room, you, because you have white skin, the first impression will be different than me having black skin. If we were both in an alley and the authorities got called, I would be perceived different at first instinct than you. That is what white privilege is. It's just having experiences and having a uncomfortable, a unconscious bias that people will have to you because of the color of your skin. And so an ally is someone who is conscious of that and is performing even when the lights are off. They are doing the work and not telling me every time that they do it. I don't need you to call me or text me Every time you read an interesting article about a black man, <laughs> I don't need you to call me or text me every time that you come across an interesting microaggression um, YouTube video. One, chances are I've already seen it. Two, chances are that's the life I actually live. And <laughs> it was interesting. My husband, one of the most, he was instrumental. And by the way, he is white. Um, you can't, you know, you can't help who you love, but he was instrumental in curating the race movement, um, resources because he is the definition of a, of an ally. And I know a lot of people who are in interracial relationships and do not have the same level of understanding, but he emotionally, physically, and mentally took on and really embodied everything that I was hoping race movement would be, which is holding himself and his family accountable, holding his friends accountable, um, regardless of if I was around or not. It's an ongoing journey for him. It's been a journey he's been doing for years, and it's a journey that he'll be doing for years to come because he recognizes the impact of, and he goes as far as, um, you know, he's very action-oriented. If we weren't quarantined in Sedona, he would have been on the front lines of every protest available to him. And I see, and it, everyone doesn't have to protest to be an ally. There are so many different forms, but the education piece is so critical. And I, I communicate this because the one of the most um, emotionally charged YouTube videos that he watched was of this woman, a very beautiful, um, very profound and impactful in her community, black woman, sharing her racial discrimination experiences. And to him, it seemed so far-fetched and so unreasonable. And I looked at him and I said, this exact situation 
happened to me in 2006, and I can tell you the exact date and time. It happened to me in 1997, I can tell you the exact date and time. And this happened to me a year and a half ago, and I could tell you the exact date and time. And so things that to me don't even seem relevant anymore, because it happened so frequently, either for me, my family, or my black community, some somehow have a very lasting impact for the white community. And so for going back to your allyship question, it's understanding it's more than just having sympathy and it's more than just having empathy also. It's going from empathy to true deep educational awareness and then recognizing the systemic barriers and taking a conscious decision and step as to how you can help dismantle them. And whether that's with your business partners and colleagues, your family and friends, um, or your local authorities, because those conversations and those people are people of impact. They are people of power, whether large or small, And if you can't fundamentally have the tough conversations with them, or if you are selective about who you have these conversations with, because it's conversations that are of popular opinion in the group in which you are speaking, that is not allyship. That is performance allyship at best. Mm -hmm. And if you can't unapologetically and uncomfortably be willing to lose friends, to put significant boundaries up because people in your life cannot get past sympathy and cannot see the privilege that they have, then that's no ally of mine. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean giving donations and then saying like, like, I'm doing the work because look at how much money I've given. No, We'll gladly take your money so that it can go towards causes that are going to be of action. But it's truly understanding and having those reflective moments and understanding what your shadows are. And it's recognizing also the difference between diversity and inclusion and anti-racism work. Because you cannot tell me that you are incorporating more diversity and inclusion in your life and in your communities. And as such, you are not, you know, you are completely anti-racist. That's actually not true. Diversity and inclusion is about bringing more people to already toxic table. It's not dismantling any of the systemic issues on justice and equality. Anti-racism work is showing up every day, willing to be uncomfortable, willing to take some risks, And willing to acknowledge your flaws, the flaws of your community and friends and work environment, and then making a conscious decision as to how you're going to be better than those environments so that those walls can dissolve, so that the communities can come together. Yeah, I think that's so powerful and you know, you see right now, especially on Instagram, so much content circulating. Yeah. Um, and being reshared and re- 
reposted and you or know even more before and now less well and now now less but that's what I was gonna say is like as the weeks have moved on you know there's less people posting about the petitions you can sign there's less people posting about the education that they're doing or the movies that they're watching or the protests that they're attending whether in person or virtually um or how they're showing up um in this in this fight you know and so Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally have been very disappointed to see so many people within my immediate wellness community who seemed like so gung-ho, so in it, like so committed. And then all of a sudden it's like picture of my protein ball recipe, like photo of me at the beach, like, and then nothing, you know, it's like no mention. Mm-hmm. Um, black square and, and check. Like uh, yep. the box, I posted the black square, like I signed a petition and, um, you know, something that really hit home with me, and I might have shared this on a different podcast, but I saw um, a woman, a black woman post on her stories about, you know, they're, like you were saying, intention versus impact. You know, all these people are posting all these steps that you can take, call these numbers, get justice for George, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, whatever. But like, are you actually doing those things or are you just mm-hmm. posting about it? So mm-hmm. until you actually take action and you do that thing, don't post about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I took to heart. I was like, okay, like I'm done sharing resources or anything until I personally have like, downloaded that movie or read that book or signed that petition or gone out to a protest, you know? And so, um, yeah, because even if you feel like, Oh, well, I'm going to do it later and it's good to share. It's yeah. not authentic. Right. It's mm-hmm. not, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not to repost. Like all these other people have done the work for you. So mm-hmm. all you have to do is share it to your Instagram story. Like mm-hmm. that's not hard. That's the bare freaking minimum. Yeah. The fact that like, <laughs> falling short on that now yeah Um, Yeah. you know and I don't mean to be negative because there's so much amazing change that is happening but I do think it's good to call out that there is a lot of performative allyship happening where that is even trickling away yeah and and you are you hit the nail on the head and I couldn't I am trying to see the silver linings of you know COVID and um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and in this movement but it is deeply concerning the limited the the continued limited frequency in which I see people even performing as if they're allies now. Mm-hmm. And I am okay, I recognize, and I even felt guilty about this. I was in California for two weeks and so many things I wanted to do and say and Um, you know, post about whether it was long walks or sunsets or just binging out on pizza five different times. Good (laughs) Lord. But (laughs) I wanted to post about it. And I felt I felt a little bit guilty. And so I think that it also then goes back to what's the right cadence in which we are like almost shaming or criticizing the community. Right. And I think it, it, there's a balance. However, I think that that balance also, if you are going to be posting, because if, if one more person tells me, I just want life to go back to normal, Ugh. you're going to be dead to me because <laughs> this is the new normal. And yeah. it may, you may not have immediate black friends or family or colleagues. So it may not exactly resonate with you. And 
and to you, I can't, I can't help you. If you can't do the education yourself, and if you can't show up yourself and really put in that time and energy yourself to understand the global impact that is racial inequality, then you're on your own journey. But if you're saying you want to show up and you're saying you are so distraught about, you know, the, the oppression, then again, my question to you is, are you upset by the oppressive nature of racism or are you just upset by the results? Like, are you really rooted in what racism is and how you can, you are or have played a contributing role to it and rooted in the conscious decision to be better and to evolve? Or are you just communicating in, you know, periodically and then now continuing to trickle your frequency of engagement because it's quote unquote not as prevalent or this is scary, but, or as popular, like it's, mm-hmm. it, it's not trending. You know, so you don't feel the need anymore because it's no longer trending in your feed. But let me tell you, it's very much still trending in mine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say, oh, my God, I'm like losing my train of thought now. There's like so many thoughts coming up. Um, I know. I was just going to say, I feel like that's why the education piece is so important, because Yes, the action piece is more important. Like we need to be going out there and actually taking action that's going to result in real change. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like if you don't understand why you're taking that action, it's not going to you're not going to continue to do it over the coming weeks and months and years. So like if you don't if you don't understand why this is such a problem and like you're just waking up to it or even if you've known, but like all of us as white privileged people, we have a lot of learning left to do. And no matter how much we know there, we will never understand or know enough. And so we have to continue to, to educate ourselves and to be better and do better. But I think on a very basic level, it's like, yes, you have to continue reading those books and listening to the podcast and opening your mind because if you don't, then the motivation level to actually go out there and take a stand and do something about it is going to fizzle and die. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think, too, it's kind of, okay, so, so something you said, too, it's like, we also don't want to shame people, like, you're not posting constantly on Instagram, mm-hmm. because that's not the only form of mm-hmm. activism. You yeah. know, I've deleted, I've been off Instagram almost completely now for, like, three weeks, because I was having just a lot of anxiety I'm just related to other stuff and it was just not good for me and mm-hmm. I wasn't productive and I needed to be off of it. So I mm-hmm. committed to the work in other ways. And yeah. there are so many ways you can do that. Having our own, having my own business, I have more say in terms of, you know, making a conscious effort with our business, your home imbalance. We used to only post like photos of our, our family and stuff because it's a family business. And then we've had a lot of graphics and things like that on Instagram. But recently we did a rebrand and now as part, and it's not like just photos of our family anymore. And so mm-hmm. it was great timing because now we're consciously as a part of every single week's content featuring, you know, highlighting inequalities in healthcare, yeah. um, you know, making that be built into not only our content strategy, but 
what we're having conversations about on this podcast, never, ever letting go on these topics. Um, that's something I can control more because I don't work for a company, but like on another level, just to give people some ideas, um, like Thomas, for example, he works for a big company and, you know, there's been a lot of team calls and things like that where some, you know, problematic things have been said and mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's called it out on his team calls and he's questioned things. And it's, you know, it's, it's something as little as we had like an inspector come over to our house and, um, we had actually, so Thomas and I just recently got a house. We had been living in an apartment in Santa Monica that got hit really, really bad. Um, when the protests turned to riots in Santa Monica and our, you know, apartment was hit and it, door was shattered or whatever, but we both understand the rage and we both understand how things transpired. And, but yet whenever we would meet somebody new, like this inspector that we had had to meet, um, he was like, Oh, you guys are in Santa Monica. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm so sorry. You know what happened? And that's mm -hmm. right. Like there's no excuse for that, you know, for the mm -hmm. riot steal and destroy. And it's like, we could have just not said something to this random guy that we don't know, you know, <laughs> but it's like, no, it's a lot more than that. You know, it's yeah. lifetimes of oppression. It's, uh, you know, the government not caring about black people. It's kind of like, why would you expect people to not be mad? Like, yeah. And again, it's not saying that like the protesters were the rioters. There's, you know, people say they're, they're different, whatever, but at, at a basic level, we should also understand the anger. We should understand mm -hmm. like why people would want to, would have, or have no respect for a system that's had no respect for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I'm just saying, no, no, no. These little ways in your day to day off of Instagram, because unfortunately we do focus on Instagram too much. Yeah. It's like yeah. Instagram is also like, for me personally, what I've been finding lately has been unhealthy for me. Um, and so, and then I was feeling guilt because I'm like, oh my God, I was posting every single day during the movement. And then since I've deleted, I haven't posted at all. And I'm like, oh my God. But then it's like, that's not, that's not the only way. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to remind ourselves of that as well. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I couldn't agree and support that more because we all have a lot of things that we're processing and we're dealing with different emotions and triggers at different times, racially or otherwise, personal things come up. And these kind of environments sometimes trigger and heighten the sensitivity. And I, too, I had a lot of tough conversations um, around race. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who I was harboring, not, not friends, not just friends, but like colleagues. And then there were people who I was harboring this a bit of anger because I didn't see them posting on Instagram. Yeah. And that was problematic for me because when I finally did have a conversation with them, it was, this isn't my platform to which I feel like I'm going to be able to make sustainable change within myself. And there's a lot of reflecting I need to do for myself first, because I feel, because right, wrong, or indifferent, like my white bubble is getting fucking shattered. Excuse me, pardon my language, but it's, oh, it's getting shattered. And so rebuilding those pieces is going to take some people much longer. And so these kind of environments only heighten that, that angst and it doesn't, it's, it's counterproductive. And 
on the rioting conversation, I'm, we're not even going to go into the rioting because it's, it's so much, but I will say it's so disappointing when and I had a lot of problematic conversations within my own organization that I ended up having to take a stand and my president of our company allowed me to have a platform and voice to speak to my entire retail division and then also present in front of our entire company, (laughs) Japan, Asia, Costa Rica, North America, Um, because I was so fired up about this and I refused to allow and accept that so much of my time and energy is invested in a company that does not back any sort of fundamental values that I have. And so if I'm going to continue to immerse myself in those, you know, and, and give so much to my organization, I need them to give something back to me and, and um, people of color. So I felt really grateful to be able to share those experiences because a lot of these people um, didn't, you know, are from small towns or, or large towns, but have a very siloed lens because of their society and environment. And I'm not judging you per se, if that's the only thing you've ever known, but if, when you then do know, and you choose not to take any sort of self actions to evolve, that's when there's going to be that, that disconnect and that um, fundamental boundary and barrier that will have to be put in place because I no longer one trust myself to be in a situation with you or be on projects with you because I don't feel safe. I don't feel like at the end of the day, you have any sort of understanding of who I am personally or professionally. And even if we work for large corporations, you know, I would invite your community to recognize that they can impact change on on so many different levels. And my president is white and he cried. He cried the day after George Ford died, but our CEO said nothing. And so it was, you know, how do you work with the structures that are in place as best as you can to be respectful, but also be very clear in the impact you intend to have and then allow that impact to actually speak volumes to your intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you say to people? Not that this is something that you need to teach people, but to those that aren't even sure how to have that conversation. If they do hear something that's said that's unsettling or, um, do you have any advice in, in approaching those hard conversations? Um, I do. I think first you have to, before you can have those hard conversations, you do have to have the recognition of what is prompting that response from another individual. And you have to recognize how, you have to recognize how 
triggering your response to them may be. Mm-hmm. So if you don't recognize that, the, if, you, if you can't understand how egos and fragility play in personal and professional situations, then you're setting yourself up for some failure and some really disappointing interactions. Mm -hmm. But if you can understand that, so that would be my first thing is if you don't know how to have the tough conversations, that's okay. Um, Because that means that you still have some personal reflection that you need to do for yourself. And then I say, show up by cultivating courage and cultivating courage does not mean fearless. And I, this is something that I really feel strongly about communicating throughout race movement because it's something that stuck with me, I think, on day three. And I've just felt very called um, and I've seen so many examples of why it's more prevalent. Every time that I get on the mic, I am so scared because of what people may – people who don't have my, my popular opinion – if they're going to be racist to me, I've had a lot. I've had that in the last month. I've had um, selective ignorance. I've had selective biases. I've had microaggressions. Um, and then I've had just flat out racist statements made. Um, but I still am going to show up because even though there's a lot of fear tied to sharing my truth, I recognize that it's a truth that if I don't, that the impact of me staying silent is more detrimental than the impact of me saying something. So for people who are still struggling, I would say have your self-reflection and then have, go make sure that you are having some resources that you can tap into. And I think the biggest things that people continue to the tough, the conversations that I keep hearing uh, that come up are like, you know, what are, what are revolutionary conversations? Um, what does that even look like? Like, what is uh, what is racist? Like, I'm not racist. So how do you combat I'm not racist? Um, I'm not racist. No one's saying that you're racist per se. But the question that I challenge other people to communicate is racism isn't necessarily who you are, but it's what you're doing consciously or unconsciously. So inviting people to examine themselves during these conversations And then if it gets to a point where you have, by combating someone else, you are triggering them, then at that point, you have to respectfully remove yourself from the situation. But always asking the other person why they feel a certain way is is valuable. You have multiple types of people. You have people who are so educated that they are blinded by their science and their their education that tells their brain this this racial injustice can't be possible that it's not as bad as people are saying or you know and I hate to put politics and covid into it too but just because you don't think that covid is real doesn't mean that my grandfather didn't almost die and that my uncle wasn't in a hospital for 3 weeks in critical condition Mm-hmm. with glass-like shards making it so he could not breathe. Mm-hmm. And just because you feel like there's an economic, you know, and that's another conversation that comes up is it's economics. It's just economics. Like, you know, our president is not racist. He just, you know, has poor taste sometimes. Well, no, 
he he is he has a racial it's the things he does consciously and conscious that make people have these you know racial tendencies and and um, racial projections and economics or otherwise if you are allowing yourself to narrow in on one aspect without seeing all of the other colors and shades, then you are contributing to the racial problem. You're contributing to the oppression and the platform of continued racial injustice. So if those are the types of conversations that you're being put in and you want to combat them, have some facts. I think facts speak to people more than emotion. I'm going to speak to you on emotion all day, but emotion tends to get people sometimes um, to shut down, especially if it's not someone of color. Um, and so if you can have some facts that you can articulate and truly understand, then it's going to help you feel more confident, even though you will have fear, even though it will be uncomfortable. It will at least give you some fundamental confidence to bridge this negative gap between you and someone else, whether it's someone you know or someone you don't know. Because it's, you know, when we when we are doing things only when the lights are on, it's it had the impact is just so it's at, it's very the it, the relevance becomes less. And if you're doing things unconsciously and then then it turns to if you're doing things consciously, sorry, then it turns to doing things unconsciously. Because once you start to recognize some of these like gaslighting and what microaggressions are and um white fragility, once you under like once you even hear about it once, whether you want to allow yourself to recognize it or not, when you are in situations that feel uncomfortable, you are going to start to realize why. It's like that car, the one time you see that red, you know, um, Corvette. Corvette, all of a sudden you see red Corvettes everywhere because yeah. that veil has been lifted. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice and a great point. And I think that your your point about courage is so important, not fearlessness, because it's so impossible to be completely void of fear. But to have courage is is absolutely what you need to to go into some of these difficult conversations. But I think um, having had some of these difficult conversations, I think what is always really helpful, and maybe this is a recap too of what you just said, is just to remind yourself, like, why is this important? And why am I doing this? And if your why is rooted in something other than yourself, Mm -hmm. um, then that is the purpose that will guide you through. Yeah. And if you know, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. And I'm doing this because, um, it needs to be addressed and hopefully behavior or opinions can be changed as a result. Then that's really important. You're not doing it because it's going to make you feel better because you can tell somebody those are all shallow reasons that are not quality are not good enough. Um, mm -hmm. so, so allow that purpose, that greater outside of yourself purpose to guide you through that conversation and, and keep a, keep a steady eye out for what the reaction is. Um, because, you know, like you said at the beginning, you might trigger someone to have an angry response or an upset response and also accept that and prepare for that. 
but mm-hmm. ideally, hopefully you can see that maybe still they'll, 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 they'll have taken it in and mm-hmm. they'll maybe come around. Maybe there'll be another conversation. If not though, then great. You just learned something really important to know about this friend or this person, you know, that's very illuminating and good to know. It's really good to know. And, and I would hope that most people don't want to align themselves with somebody who is absolutely unwilling to have a, a conversation or to, to hear you out or to, to grow towards change or just acknowledge it at all. So, and I, I will say there are, that is, that type of person is a person that is, is scary. Um, because that type of person makes you start to wonder, how have I not seen warning signs before? How is this the first time that I'm really seeing this person for their true colors? Mm -hmm. But the other type of person that you really have to keep an eye out for are the people who say that they're putting the time in and that they're doing the work, but without even perhaps consciously realizing how actually counterproductive they are being because their energy and their presence is actually very off-putting or you know, their tone, their tone says one thing but their actions say another. Um, there's just so many different types of of people who have, you know, uh, that are contributing to the racial injustice. And there are so many people who I do firmly believe want to change and want to be guided in the conversation up to a certain point. Until the point when it makes them too uncomfortable. Until the point when they have to compromise something within their privilege for the greater good of the entire country. Mm-hmm. And I think that that question is a question that a lot of people can't even wrap their head around. It's like COVID. I could never have wrapped my head around our entire country shutting down. Right. And here never, we are. And yet here we are. And, we, and we've adapted. <laughs> and we've adapted. Mm-hmm. So until you are, and not just put in an uncomfortable position, but until you are really compromised and had to give something up is sometimes, or had to lose someone or something is sometimes that that is the defining moment for people. That is their aha moment because they could say their aha moments. Like when people hit rock bottom, they think their rock bottom was 10 times ago. Yeah. Until the next time. And it's just something to really continue. If you're trying to be an ally and you, you want to be an ally and you want to have the personal growth, then really be conscious of the environment and the people, places, and things in which you surround yourself with. Because there will be a time when, 
you know, God willing that you will have, you will be challenged and your response to that is going to be the defining moment. Whether it's your, you know, whether it's a discussion with a friend, a family member, or even Ryan, to your point, as simple as, you know, the conversation with the landlord. But um, I have one more interesting story. Speaking of landlords or inspectors, I have been looking at places in California and it was so interesting to me because I have been very excited about um, moving there and my husband and I are still looking for places and, you know, exactly where we want to move. And I have a have a voice that sometimes people can't necessarily tell that I'm a woman of color. And so I spoke to a gentleman and wanted to see his listing. And so when I got to the listing site, the energy completely shifted. Mm. Um, The body language completely shifted. And it was this slight subtle shift that the my husband never would have noticed it. You never would have noticed it as evolved as I know you are with and conscious of the movement. I don't think you still would have recognized it yet. I felt it surging through my body and then, and in the rest of the, you know, 20 minutes that I was there was fine, completely normal until I went that night and he made a comment about how he lives right next door and it's so easy for him to get to the property because he lives right next door and he's always by his phone. So then the next night I called to see if my husband and I could go see the property together. No response. Um, Called, you know, a couple hours later, no response. Texted him, no response. My husband calls Right after I text, we have a very different area code. So there's no, you know, there's, there would have been no parallel. He answers. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what did that conversation look like between you and your husband? It looked like me crying Mm -hmm. and then, and not even because I was surprised, but because what I thought I was hoping wasn't the case. And in fact, it very much was. And so I cried because I was disappointed that I was right. And I cried because I felt like I have been making so much progress with race movement. And then everyday scenarios, I'm still, there's still a bias. Mm. Reminds and where we and are. it reminds me exactly where we are. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I, and for the first time, I have always been confident and I've always, I used to be told you're, you're so lucky. You're a pretty black girl. And <laughs> I used to allow that to actually stimulate me, but right, wrong or indifferent. I do think that it gave me this weird confidence and Though for the first time in longer than I can remember, the same that day, and that day was yesterday, <laughs> um, I was really nervous to go to a showing by myself because I didn't know if I was going to be enough. 
or if I needed my white husband or my white friends to validate me. Wow. Oh, and that's something that I think as white people, as like you said, we wouldn't have noticed a difference mm-hmm. in that situation. Your husband would have noticed a difference in that situation. And I think that that's even, even those of us who are doing the work, even those of us who, you know, are speaking out, speaking out and doing, doing all of the things, we still need to be aware that, you know, we, I was just listening to Sean Model's podcast and he made a great point of like, do you notice as a white person, like, or do you think about as a white person, the reaction that like, let's say a white man opens a bag of chips in line to check out at a grocery store. Like, what is the reaction going to be if it's a black man opening Mm -hmm. a bag of chips in line at that Mm -hmm. grocery store? Like, Mm -hmm. is that something that you would be aware of as a white person? Probably not, but the reaction is going to probably be much different. And even just the other day, I was on a walk with a client of mine who, whose friend shared with her and actually ended up sharing on Instagram that she went to Target and she was walking out of Target and the alarm went off, like something, a security tag hadn't been taken off or whatever it was. And it just so happened she's a white woman. It just so happened that as she was exiting Target, the man who was next to her also leaving was a black man. And they stopped him right away. Mm. They're like, you're good. And, you know, he opens up his bags and there's nothing in there. And she walks a little bit further. She just thinks to check her bags just to make sure. And it turns out the sensor was on her clothing item that hadn't been removed. Mm -hmm. She went back and was like, it was me. Like, it wasn't him. Mm -hmm. And so she shared that experience, you know, on Instagram and also shared the fact that like in the past, that's not something that she probably would have ever noticed, but because these conversations are being had, she was very aware of her privilege in that moment. Yeah. And then it's like, to your point though, about this experience you've just been through, it's a feeling that nobody else might ever feel or get. And, and that, and that should never be debated by anybody. But you, it's a feeling that you picked up on. It's an intuition. It's mm-hmm. so much of that that like mm-hmm. makes sense of, and that's what gets so irrational. Yeah. That's what gets so mm-hmm. infuriating around a lot of this stuff is like, it's not that you know people are constantly downplaying or um you know because it makes black sense. people are playing the victim. They just need to have a more positive outlook. Mm-hmm. Not everything is about race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because it mm-hmm. makes it easier. To, it makes it feel like it's just not that big of a deal because then you don't have to really go deep and do the work and be committed to all of this stuff that is obviously not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's excuses that allow you to live in ignorance and bliss. Um, yeah, at the same time. So, but I am so sorry that that it happened to mm-hmm. you. There has been so much going on. Not only are you like entrenched in this work every day, have taken on this role of like, like you said, you know, feeling like maybe it was part of your responsibility to kind of like educate the white people in your life or start this for white people. Um, which of course it's not your responsibility. It's just an incredible mission and purposeful work that you're doing that is impacting 
thankfully a lot of white people. Um, but, uh, I was going to say just there keeps being things that are happening in your personal life too, on top of all of this educating that you've been doing and it's just too much and it's so hard and heavy and I can't imagine. And I'm just wondering how, how you, how you, because I know you are not only a successful person have always like been career driven, you're super fit, like super active, <laughs> obviously super smart, well-spoken, all of these things. You're, you're an achiever. And so how do you, in these dark moments, in these stressful, heavy situations that you've been in a lot lately, how do you recharge and how do you get to a place of like evenness, if even possible? Um, I had to really lean on my cousin um, who could feel my energy from a million miles away and invited me to black healing circles. And that has been phenomenal. And then they've also expanded to multicultural healing sessions. And to be honest, the healing journey for white people and black people are very, you know, sometimes very similar and sometimes very different. Mm -hmm. And I have really enjoyed and really allowed the layers to dissolve in these healing circles because I recognize that I am a fire that is burning so bright right now, but it's burning through a lot. It's burning through anger. It's burning through rage. It's burning through depression. It's burning through disappointment. It's burning through um, like uncertainty and shame and all of these things. But as I keep burning through, I'm also realizing that I can keep burning forward. I, instead of, you know, being a flame that's going to erupt to a forest fire, I'm, I'm a flame that's about to be, you know, that's continuing to try and be a guiding light. And I will say movement, like physical movement really is the thing that allows me an emotional release. And also when I feel fit, I feel so good. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing, if it's a health thing. For me, it's a little bit of both. And I, I've noticed that there were a couple weeks during race movement that I was not working out. I wasn't, I was hardly even walking because I was so busy. I was getting like three hours of sleep a night because if it wasn't race movement, you know, it was the DNI work I was trying to do for my company. And then it was also doing my job and then just, you know, making sure. My marriage was, you know, I was still being a contributing member to that partnership and still a good friend. And so, you know, all those things. And I, it was all of these boundaryless things I was doing and I was moving in, a, in, but I was spinning out. And so I mentioned this earlier for me to find balance and recharge, I have to be moving in a direction of personal, physical, and emotional impact. And so that comes in the form of the circles because I was moving through emotions and feelings and building knowledge um, about myself and about um, the black community. And then in, in a spiritual and very um, in a spiritual, but just a personal way. And then the other movement component is truly the movement of my body and getting back out there and, 
you know, doing my crunches and doing my walks and drinking my water. I will tell you, drinking water and that hydration made my skin feel better. And it just, it, 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 I felt like I had a little bit more space when I was doing those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're doing such deeply emotional work, you sometimes like those basic human needs you Mm -hmm. completely forget about. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you like literally have no energy left. You have a headache, you Mm -hmm. feel extra, extra drained. And it could be as simple as like taking five minutes to get up and like drink a whole thing of water. Yeah. Take your eyes off of a screen, hug your husband. Um, and yeah, you know, I think, I think for everyone, that's a good reminder too. Um, and staying consistent, um, recharging for this revolution, you know, it's really important to take that space and, and time for yourself. And I'm actually wondering, like, do you, through this process, do you feel more confident in asking for help and support? So like moving yeah. forward, that's something that you're going to be able to do. Cause I, yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, I will say like, I, at first when Brave Movement first kicked off, I was, I thought I was asking for help in, I've always been, if I need help, I'll ask um, you know, and when I need it and when, when I, other people think I need it, when I need it may be slightly different. So bridging that gap a little bit, but I did feel like I was communicating, but my sense of urgency wasn't necessarily other people's sense of urgency. And the creating the content was really the hardest thing, not creating the resources, but the content on Instagram was the most challenging thing for me because that's not where my analytical brain goes. And so I thought I was asking my friends and colleagues like the right questions to get them to lean in, but I really wasn't. And again, it goes back to that spinning out because I wasn't recharging. And so now I feel like I have such a calming and confidence and and a bit of, I mean, there's still fear, but I, I do feel more fearless than I previously had to, to, ask for the support in a way that is impactful, that is productive. And it's a call to action that people can align with. Because when I just ask for help and provide no context, it's really hard for people to just jump in. And that's the same thing with race movement, not just, you know, on the back end, but on the front end. If there's not a specific call to action, and if there's not clarity around the impact it will have for them and the things that they will be held accountable for, then it's not as it's not a platform that's going to be able to continue to multiply and reach as many people as I envision it to reach because there's not clarity around its path forward. Yeah. And I mean, it's true with like any, even like business that revolves around one person having to like physically show up to do the work Mm -hmm. and emotionally it's like that long-term isn't a business model that works Yes, because like you have to be able to take a day off. Like you have to be able to like go on a vacation. You have to be able to go on a road trip back home and like not have to be answering a million calls. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I would definitely encourage um, <laughs> lots of asking for help. Um, I know if there's any way that like we can be involved too and, and help, I would love to talk about that. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. And I'm, you know, I'm so inspired by the work that you both have done too, um, not just recently, but historically. You've tapped into so much. You have built such a multicultural community um, whether it's, you know, people that you see every day or not, you really gravitate and understand the, imp- the importance of having diversification of, of knowledge, of resources, of relationships. And that is very important, um, because that's sustainable and that's authentic. And if you, you know, the authenticity piece is, is what I, fear sometimes is missing. And, you know, we, I really encourage people to also explore and reflect on that. And I, you know, I'm definitely going to be putting together some um, parameters on what support is needed for race movement. And, you know, whether it's digital activation, whether it's just outline, and I am working on the possibility of doing online courses, as well as more intimate circles and challenges that people can kind of be ambassadors for in their area. Yeah. You know, that's going to be something that um, Ryan actually inspired me on and, and, you know, encouraged me to explore further. (laughs) I I know I mentioned the ambassador idea too, but, and then I'm like, love that idea. (laughs) I I was actually responding to the the course idea because that's something you didn't mention to me. And I love that idea. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that today. <laughs> but we, we really do appreciate those kind words too. And I think that's a good, um, kind of a good segue. We could literally talk to you for hours and I know that we will be talking offline as well. Um, yes. And you will be back in California. So I'm very excited to, to hang out um, at a distance. Bring masks, people listening. Um, But just in moving forward, what would you like to leave people with? What's one thing that they can go out today to do to get involved in this movement and to continue to learn and unlearn? Hmm. It's a great question. The one thing that I would ask people to do is right now, sign up for race movements resources because we have an archive of resources that are so robust and have five minutes to an hour and 50 minutes, depending on what your capacity to listen and absorb are. Because if you start with the education piece, then from there in tandem, I challenge you to also do some what I call soul scribing that every day, just one thing you take away from a resource, whether it's five minutes or not, because the more that you can regurgitate the things that you're experiencing, either a feeling or an emotion or some educational nuggets that you are taking away the more that you're dissolving that unconscious bias and that selective ignorance, and the more that you will be able to eventually build out that 
courage, that um, cultivating courage in environments and situations where historically you may have been silent or not even recognized the privilege and the, the microaggression that is taking place. And at that point, my hope is that you'll be able to take a stand with your words and with your actions one day at a time. Mic drop. Wow. So awesome. <laughs> Thank that. you ladies so much for having me on. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to share this time with you and to share your platform and your space. I really hope that, you know, we have an opportunity to impact even just a few lives just through these continued dialogues. I'm sure. Thank you, Nicole. You're truly a force. And this, I had chills for a lot of what you're saying. <laughs> incredibly powerful. Um, and we may have said, said that word a lot in this conversation, but it's true. You, you are a powerful being and, and we are so grateful for you sharing all of that. And we cannot wait to see what comes with race movement whenever you are ready to take it to, you know, that next place. And obviously you need your rest and you need your time. So we hope that you will be getting that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. I am. How can people follow race movement and you and um, just support the community and the work um, that we're doing together and that you're doing? Um. So you can follow us on Instagram at race movement or online. We have our website that is actually being revamped. But if you if you click on join the movement, it will take you to our email subscriptions. And the first email that you will receive will be an um, just an overview of what race movements first 31 day challenge really looked like and an archive to our resources, which are housed on racemovement.com. So it's a little bit different than racemovement.org. Um, and then you can follow me personally on Nicole M.H. Miller. And in the very near future, I will be creating a Facebook group to be able to reach a larger audience. And there will be more to come with regards to, um, as I was mentioning, these smaller circles and smaller challenges where I'll be very excited to um, ask and be looking for ambassadors to support their local initiatives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just have to, yeah, I just have to give a, a last shout out to you for those resources because I cannot express enough, like how every single day I would open those emails and be like, and she did it again. Like another <laughs> amazing list of resources that like I say are so varied and so thoughtful and so impactful. And there's, uh, there was reflections for the week with questions that you can ask yourself. And so I think, um, I just, I just really want to say that again, because it was so, so, so amazing. Um, and then for those listening, it is R-A-C-E-M-V-M-T. So the spelling is a little bit different. Yeah. Great, great call out. Yep. <laughs> thank oh, you so much, Nicole. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Have a great weekend. You too. What an impactful conversation with Nicole. We really hope this will inspire you to have more conversations on this topic in your personal and professional lives. And 
to continue your personal anti-racism education work. Um, we're not just saying that we hope that for you, we are committed to doing that as well. And we look forward to being a part of phase two of race movement and sharing more about it um, whenever that does come to fruition. But again, letting Nicole have her time and space after creating this amazing platform um, as like a side passion project in addition to everything else she's doing. So mind-blowing. Yeah. So Nicole, if you're listening, take that time. You deserve it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And if you are all enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a positive review so we can keep bringing on guests like Nicole that you want to hear from and grow this amazing community. We'd also encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo 2.0 podcast, and we will be sure to share it as well. Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.